over the next three Sundays, I want us to study together the great work of God in us in making us in His own image. The first place, of course, that we encounter this truth is in the very first chapter of the Bible, in the account of creation. And it's this passage of Scripture, it's the the Scriptures as a whole, that help us to understand who we are in relation to God. Help us to, as Ray referenced a couple of times this this morning in Sunday school, help us to have that true self-awareness. Now, I don't think you should be surprised that we will find over the next few weeks that the ultimate meaning of the image of God is not found in us. It's not found in mere man. The ultimate meaning and the significance of the image of God is found in God's Son, the Messiah, Christ Jesus the Lord. In what I'm planning to be the last week of this series, which is just, this is a mini-series of three weeks. After that, I'm on vacation for a few. Um, the last week, what we're going to look at together is that actually, the image of God in mankind has more to do with our future than it does with our origins. More to do with the future us than the past. It is our beginning, but more it's where we are ultimately headed. And it's what we will be, that is, the image of God, when we arrive. That's the next few weeks, and I'm pretty excited about it. Psalm 111 declares, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows it very well. Well, do we? That's what we're going to strive for. We're going to strive for our souls to know very well what it means that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. David said, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's going to be the purpose. That's our goal that this will turn, this conviction that we want to establish, that we want to shore up and strengthen, will turn into the worship of our God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help. Father, what You have done for us in Your work and what You have given to us in Your revelation in the Bible is it is completely and utterly amazing. It's astounding. And Father, I pray that uh, you would you would make us by your spirit to get it. I pray, Father, that these truths would not be forgotten and they would not be ignored or suppressed in any way. Help us to know who we are by creation. Help us to understand who Jesus is and who we are being made to be in Him. Father, it will be to Your praise, and it will be to Your honor and glory. And I pray, Father, that 
to all the skeptics and the doubters out there, we would spread the good news of what you have done. And I pray, Father, that there's so much attack against these things, so much mockery against these truths, Father, but there is no attack, there's no mockery, there's no no scheme of man that is more powerful than You are. And I do pray that You would, by Your Spirit, by the truth of Your Word, awaken the world to Your glory and to who we are in relationship to You. I ask these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Not long ago, just a few weeks ago, a superstar athlete who plays for one of the professional sports teams in Chicago wrote this in an Instagram post where he was advocating for environmental care. This is what he said. The only lie we tell ourselves is that we are more special than other life forms on the planet. Well, we're not. In other words, humankind does just as well to plant a tree as to make a person. Because there is nothing more intrinsically valuable about the person than the plant. And on and on and on we can go with the logical connections of all of these things connecting the dots. Apart from anybody's prompting, do you consider the big questions of human existence? You know, besides a moment like this or a lecture or even in reading, do you consider just on your own the big questions of human existence? I think if you've got to any you know, reasonable age or maturity that you should have, that you should consider the questions. Sometimes they just come like a jolt. What am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I here? And I don't know if that ever hits you like that, like a kind of a bolt of lightning, but it does me sometimes. Let us consider together the big questions of human existence. Let me give you six. There's a bunch of things that you just might want to scribble down on a piece of paper um, for later reference and thinking through. Number one, how did we come to existence in the first place? That's the very first question. How did we come to exist? Second, is there anything special about human existence over every other life form on the planet? Do we have as humans a greater value than the rest of nature, creation? Third, what is the purpose? Why are we here? What is the purpose of human existence? And then that's going to be part one. Part two will be talking about this next big question. What has gone wrong with the world? We, we just know instinctively that this thing is broken, that this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. What has gone wrong with our existence? Number five, we'll cover this quickly. Is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for human existence? And number six, concerning the questions of human existence, where are you going to go for the answers? Where are you going to go for the answers? Are you going to look to heaven above 
or are you going to go to earth below? We're going to start with answering the last question first, where we go for the answers. God has not left us to ourselves. Notice I'm not even questioning the existence of God. If there is anything that is duh in this world, it is the existence of God. I mean, this is the most obvious and self-evident thing. The Bible doesn't even defend God's existence. It just simply says, in the beginning, God. And up until recently, relatively in human history, we have all assumed this. We're all born with this instinctive, intuitive knowledge that there is a God. So I'm not even asking that question. Rather, we... we have to ask where we're going to go for the answers to all of these big questions. And God has not left us to propose answers ourselves. He's not left us just to theorize and to make deductions. The answers are found in God's Word, the Bible. The answers of the big questions concerning our existence are found in His One written revelation. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. And this is where we must go for answers. So we start with God. The Bible says in Psalm 90, in fact, I encourage you to memorize this passage. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Without beginning and without ending is God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made space and he set time and matter in it in motion. He made sky spaces and sea spaces and land spaces and filled these spaces with his creations, plants and animal and human. And this is the the first answer. This is the answer to the first question. This is the origin of our existence. All of life is the creation of the everlasting God. Second question. But is there anything special about us? Anything that would separate us as human beings to be above the rest of creation. It was on the sixth day of the creation week. It says, if you would look down at verse 26 of Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In the council of the triune God, That's why he says, let us. In the council of the triune God, it was the purpose of God to create one being out of all of his creation in his image after his likeness, which might not seem to be very remarkable to us, but think of this. All of creation is a showcase for the glory of God. All of it together speaks of the creator's immensity and his intricate care. All of creation tells of his beauty, his greatness, his goodness, his wisdom and power. 
that in him is life and his life is the light of men. All of creation testifies to those truths. All creation reflects God. And yet, of all the creation, only of mankind is it said that this creation has been made in the likeness and in the image of God. And this answers not only the question of our value, but it also answers the question of our purpose on this earth. We have been uniquely created in His likeness to showcase His glory supremely above all that the creation may do. If you would flip over, perhaps for you it's just one page. It uh, should be Genesis chapter 2, verses 5-7. to seven. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This brings us to part two of this sermon and to our fourth question. What has gone wrong? We know something has gone wrong. We know that this creation, the natural world, is broken. What happened? The, the tragedy, the true tragedy, is that humankind, which was created above all to be the most brilliant reflection of God's glory, mutinously scrambled above the throne of God in a desperate attempt to have more. Adam and Eve took what God had forbidden in the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because even though they were made to be like God supremely, they aimed for more than that. They didn't only want to be like God, they wanted to be God. That was their aim. They weren't satisfied to possess the attributes which God shares with mankind They aimed for those attributes and perfections which God alone possesses. They didn't simply want to decide, or I should say discern, between what is good and what is evil. They wanted to decide for themselves what is good and what is evil. But like Satan had failed in his own attempt before them, so Adam and Eve failed to obtain what is unobtainable. And the effect on this life is death. Just as God had warned. Where once God had pronounced blessing, now God pronounced and bound the created world in curse physically. Think, let's think of, through the repercussions. Physically, Adam and Eve began the descent into death. Just as everything in the natural world wears down and everything dies. Spiritually, Adam and Eve immediately died. They could no more designate what was good and define what was evil than before. And they didn't desire the good as much as they had before. And they didn't desire God as they had before. 
They became slaves to sin. The earth suffered for sin. It's in bondage. This is Paul's language in Romans 8. It is in bondage to corruption. And it's erupting with sufferings every single day. Our relationships, every relationship has suffered. Our relationship with the creation has suffered so that we toil in the creation. It is backbreaking labor in the creation to produce what we need to live. And how we pass blame and betray one another. Our relationships have suffered because of sin and how the Spirit suffers. And you can see this right away in Adam and Eve where once there had been the joy of fellowship with God, now there is shame, there is loneliness, and there is dread. So that now today, every reasonably mature thinking human being knows there is something wrong. But because of sin, we don't know that it's us. And we are latching onto every hope that we can get a hold of. But all we are doing, apart from God's Word, all we are doing is groping around blind in the dark. All because of sin. All because of what we have still done. And the sin consequences are still morphing. They are still morphing. In our great evil, what we have done is to not only propose theories that run counter to the Bible's revelation concerning our origins and what it means to be human, but we have proclaimed evolution as the only, where all other truth is relative, the world has proclaimed that evolution is the one absolute truth, indisputable fact. And the threat of evolution is nearly beyond imagination. Actually, I'll go so far as to say the threat of evolution is beyond our ability to imagine and to comprehend. Because evolution leaves no realm of earthly life unharmed. And it leaves no stone overturned. From psychology to sex Every realm of human life, everything is effective. If we are evolved beings merely, then human life is not inherently more valuable than any other life form. If life has, if human life has evolved, then what of human institutions? They have evolved right along with us. So there is no preset limit on gender, on sex, on marriage, on government, on right and wrong. Be what you want to be. Do what makes you happy. Believe in yourself and follow your heart. Make your truth and live it to the fullest. Just remember, when you're at the end of life in the nursing home, watch your back. And when you're in the womb, in the sunrise of life, watch your back. There is a place and there is a purpose for everything according to God, the Creator. What He has designed 
He alone defines. And what He has originated, He alone may order. We, His creatures, have no right to redefine. We have no right to reorder life. There is just a fundamental fundamental principle. And Paul used this fundamental principle to defend the doctrine of election in Romans 9. But we may ask the same question in relation to all of life. This was Paul's question, his, in a way, hypothetical. He said, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? The answer is, has the potter no right over the clay? But according to the world, evolution is the potter. What are we? We are nothing but the clay. And so is God. Evolution is the potter and God is the clay. He is just another survival tactic amongst all the survival tactics in the attempt to be, you know, the fittest. He is just another social construct along with all of the other social constructs. So we don't ask of God, why have you made me like this? Rather, we say evolution has made us like this and we made God. And we can remake Him and everything else in evolution's creation as we see fit. And we can do it all in the name and to the glory of evolution. How poor and how lost this human race is. Ray was talking in Sunday school about I could kind of see him grimacing and, and shaking his head as he was talking about sin. You know, people don't believe in sin anymore. Talk about God. People don't believe in God anymore. You see that this is the consequence of evolution? You see that ab- abortion and euthanasia and all of it? Well, I'll mention a few things more. All of it is the consequence, the, the, um, The validation of those things, the justification of those things is all the consequence of man's belief that we are nothing but evolved animals. Evolution is a grave threat. It is the gravest threat to humanity that there is. So this brings us to another question. Is there any hope for us? Thank God that the true Creator of all living came as the Savior of mankind. He is the Creator of all life without exception, and He is the Redeemer of all who repent and trust in Him. And those who do will be saved without exception. And this brings me to part three, and what I want to do in part three is, now that we have considered the big questions, I want to home back in on uh, questions two and three, which are, what about our value? What kind of value do we have? And also, I want us to talk about what our purpose is. Back at back in Genesis 1, let's read again in verses 26, and we'll read down to verse 28. Then God said, by the way, 
we're, we're mostly done talking about the miserable things. And now, for the most part, I want to glory and exult in who God is and what God has done. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, would you flip over to Genesis 5, verse 1? Still, even as God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, we might think, what does this mean? Especially considering that we are not only spiritual beings and physical, and God is not a physical being, Of course, Jesus Christ is in the flesh. Don't get me wrong. But God, the Father, God, the Spirit, are invisible beings whom no one has ever seen or can see. So in Genesis chapter 5, there is a really helpful parallel to understand what it means that we are created in God's image. The parallel is between Adam and the fathering of his third son, Seth, to God and his creation of mankind in his image. And it's in this that we can help be helped to see what the image of God entails. Notice the parallels. Don't miss this, okay? This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. You see the resemblance? You see the the parallel there. God creating the man and naming him and the father begetting a son and naming him and both alike in in Adam's and in God's likeness, in Adam's image and in God's image. So we're talking at the baseline, we're talking about resemblance and that we bear the most unique resemblance to God in all of creation. Now, we're not talking about physical attributes. It's not that we resemble God in a physical sense. And yet, I will go so far as to say our physical attributes do reflect him, spiritually speaking. They do reflect his attributes. We are given eyes to see and to focus and, and to comprehend and ears to hear and, and to focus and to comprehend and, and on and on we can go because of God who is all seeing and all hearing and, and so on. But how often, you know, we see, uh, a son in the likeness of his father. You look at the son and, these resemblances, they just, they show up in the son's features, physical features, in his mannerisms and speech and habits, even like really quirky and silly things. Uh, when I was a boy, I, I love bread. I, I really love bread. You're not going to catch me on one of those carb-free diets unless I'm absolutely forced without bread because 
it's, you know, that's like my favorite thing to eat. And uh, when I was a boy, I used to eat the, the top rounder half of the bread first. And then saving the best for last, I'd eat the square bottom half second. And as I'm doing this, I'm thinking that the, the upper part of the bread, the rounder part, that's the girl's side. And the square part, that's the boy's side of the bread. And after years of thinking like this, I told my parents that that's what I had thought as a kid, and my dad laughed because he had thought the exact same thing when he was a boy. So that weirdness, the quirk things, even can be passed on without any instruction. He's a chip off the old block, we say. He, you know, the apple has not fallen far from the tree, we say. There's that resemblance. So we were made to uniquely resemble God. And this is, this is our purpose. We were made to reflect His glory and to represent Him in the world. Being made in God's image, we are God's vice regents. Ruling over creation on His behalf under His authority. And you can see this if you look at chapter 2 quickly, verses 8 and 19. You see this dominion given to us. First of all, the land is entrusted to our care. It says, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then the creatures of the land are entrusted to our care. God brought them, every beast and every bird, to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So what does it mean for our value and for our purpose that we were created in the image of God? Let me give you seven things, and I'll give them to you relatively quickly. First of all, it means that over the rest of creation, God has entrusted to mankind the rule and the authority and the dominion. We are stewards of what God has made. Not to, not to reorder, but to continue to make order according to God. It is given to us to tend and to keep and to beautify, to cultivate and to nurture and to further this all over the earth. Second, being made in God's image, all human life is inherently valuable and bears immense dignity and thus is worthy of love, of respect, and protection. Every human being bears the image of God. And thus, that means that abortion, embryonic stem cell research, and every Research and practice that would deliberately harm the embryo is an, an oppressive evil. Abortion, embryonic stem cell research, euthanasia, sexism, racism, slavery, and all forms of exploitation are oppressive evils against the image of God in man and against the God who made it so. Third, being created in God's image means that we are moral agents and we are morally responsible for the decisions that we make. 
Being made in God's image means that we have the capability, unlike the rest of the creation, to discern between obedience to God and disobedience against Him. We have the capability to discern between good and evil and between truth and lies. We can choose and we are responsible. Our intellect is higher, our emotions run deeper, and our will is more deliberate than all the rest of creation, which obeys God, but passively and not volitionally by its own choice and will. We were created by God to love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So third, we are moral agents, morally responsible. Fourth, in His likeness, we are imaginative. And this can go a number of ways, so let me just mention two. Because you are imaginative, which is different from the rest of the animal world, um, not that we are animals, because we are ima- imaginative, we can think beyond today. I mean, Proverbs points us to ants because they, you know, they do all of this prep work. And animals do. They, they hibernate and they accumulate food in preparation for hibernation. But this is all instinctive. It's not volitionally, volitionally. It's not by their own personal choice because they can project and imagine tomorrow. We can think beyond today to craft a vision and to set goals. We can picture all of these potentials, potential pitfalls and what if scenarios and we can execute a plan. We were made to be ambitious for the glory of God. And another part of our imagination is that we were made to be creative. And I love to think about this stuff. And I don't, I really, I've come to the point where I, I don't see an excuse for boredom. I think bored people are un, tend to be, not that I never get bored, but in that moment that I'm bored, I'm, I think I'm being ungrateful and very short-sighted because the world is amazing. <laughs> the world is the most amazing. Why, why would anybody want to go to Mars? Why would you want to set up a colony on Mars? I mean, have you seen the Earth? Think of the creativity that mankind shows in all of these, from architecture to horticulture to all of it. Think of the works of art that fill the world. From baseball stadiums. Back in the 1970s and 80s, they would build baseball stadiums to be all cookie cutter. They were all the same, 400 feet straightaway center field, 320 feet down the line, both sides. They were all boring and drab. And then they got creative. They went retro and they started to make ballparks the old style. Got rid of the AstroTurf, except for in Tampa and Toronto, unfortunately. But uh, grass, it's meant to be played on grass. Think of Ferris wheels, flower gardens, wood carving, sculptures, jewelry, epic works of literature, theater. Instruments. You get Danny talking about this guitar. He's going to tell you about what a work of art 
this guitar is. You just look at a big eye and everything. Not to mention instruments, but the music that we make with them. We were made in God's image to be imaginative and creative. Creative for His glory. And we are incredibly resourceful. I meant to look this up on the internet before the sermon, so maybe you'll have to fact check me here. But I think it was only like 60 years after creating powered flight, 60 years, we were on the moon. Humans are incredibly resourceful. And I think I've mentioned this before, but it's just mind-boggling to me. Because, you know, I'm still amazed. I'm, I think paper is amazing. I think ink that by its chemicals binds to paper. That's amazing. But now we are very, very close to the day when using a burn victim's own skin cells, a 3D bioprinter can print synthetic viable skin that will eliminate the need for painful skin grafts. That's human resourcefulness. And we were made to be resourceful for the glory of God. To be created in the image of God means that we may know Him above the rest of creation. We may see and we may study and we may savor what God has done. Ponder His perfections. Meditate on His majesty and worship Him with heart and mind and soul and strength and truly commune with Him as the rest of creation cannot. We may perceive His glory in the depths of our being. We may receive His Spirit and God may dwell in us. And to be created in the image of God, we may make Him known as the rest of creation cannot. Not only can we see and study and savor His salvation, but we can sing of it. We ponder His perfections and we proclaim them in a power that is not from earth, not from us, but from heaven. Closing thoughts. How does the world encourage self-esteem and a sense of self-worth? And I am glad that, in a sense, that the world does this. And the world has latched onto a truth from the created world. I'm glad for this. How does the world do this? The world says to you, there's no one else like you. There is no one else like you in all of history on the planet now. No one like you. That's true. And it's important. But the biblical message goes further than this. Because it's not evolution that has done this. That's all in the praise of evolution as far as the world takes it and as the world believes are the origins of it. But it's not evolution that has done this. You are not the product of some natural process. Natural, painful, morbid process when you think of it. You are the creation of God. And you are the unique creation of God. But the biblical message goes even further than this. Because we acknowledge with the world that there is no one like you. And yet, you were made 
to be like God. There was no one like you, but you were made in the likeness of God. You were made to resemble Him, to reflect His glory, and to represent Him in all the world. This is the worth of every human life, and this is our purpose. The creation is broken, and it's in bondage. But there is still beauty in the world, isn't there? We have to acknowledge that, and we have to see it. There is beauty and there is goodness enough in the world to make you breathe that fresh air deep and make you smile with the sun. There are glories all around us. There is good in spades. And God says, so again, the creation is broken, but all is not lost. Our God says, behold, I am making all things new. And so it is with the image of God in you and me. It's defaced and it's disfigured because of sin, but it is still God's image and it is glorious. Just like with the creation, God is making it new. He is doing this through His Son, who is not a likeness only, but who is the exact imprint of His nature who is not a reflection of God's glory merely, but who is the radiance of His glory. We're talking about the one who is the image of the invisible God. And with that thought, there's a preview for the next two weeks. Next Sunday, Jesus the Son, the image of the invisible God. And then, the following week, number of passages, but one that I actually read at the beginning of the service. Us, conformed to the image of God's Son, just as God has predestined us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your creation, and thank You for the revelation that we have in Your Word to to show us plainly what You have done and what You have made us to be. I pray, Father, that You would, by Your Spirit, through Your Word, working through us as Your witnesses, You would bring down the arguments of the world and You would demolish the strongholds of their rebellion. And I pray, Father, that we would not look upon the scoffer, the mocker as our enemy, but one like us who needs, just as we have received, the grace and the mercy of God outpoured. And I pray, Father, that as we approach the world, never compromising on truth, it would always be with love. Father, may our convictions be strong and may our worship be strong and always growing. To your praise, in Jesus I ask, amen.